If I have you, I have everything. It's an appropriate song to sing before we tackle the message today because we have a lot of questions that need to be answered. I mean, think about it. Why would anyone, why would I, I think about it personally, why would I give my life to, to making sure that I communicate a message that's in this and to do something with some material that is some of it thousands of years old and to make sure that I give everything whether it be the way that I lead my family or the way that I pastor or anything else the type of neighbor that I hopefully am why would I allow all of that to be really defined by this like why would I not at least go ahead and separate parts of my life to, to live the way that I want to and the way that the society, the culture tells me that I should be living. Why shouldn't I do that? And then, yeah, you know, if there's a God, then, you know, then I'll make sure that I do some things to honor him occasionally, but I'm, I'm going to live life for me. Doesn't that make more, that makes more sense. I'm going to live life for me and then occasionally I'm going to give some, some honor and some glory to God. Um, it's just a lot simpler because especially knowing that the majority of people, what they're thinking is, I don't even know all that much about this. And so then to surrender my life to God's word, God's truth, and who he is, I, I'm not really sure about that. And it's a lot easier for me just to, to, to try to interpret what I want of this as long as it goes along with what I already believe rather than trying to figure out what my beliefs should be based on what that's saying, when I'm not sure if I like that or not. Like this, is this, this is real life, isn't it? Like that's real life. That's where we're struggling so often today. And so we get to tackle a little bit of that and to say, is the Bible truth then? Is the Bible really truth? And it's been an interesting uh, week to prepare, to prepare for the message simply because a lot of people, I could just rattle off a lot of facts and the people who've been going to church forever would be like, yes, that's amazing. The people who are already relying on the word and then you've got others who are going, well, I'm not even sure if I really believe in it or not. In fact, I think the majority of people who go to church don't really know if they believe in it. One of the ways that you would identify that is if you know that you're doing something in your life that is against what God is instructing in God's word, if you believe that it's truth, does it bother you? <laughs> I mean, does it really bother you? Right? You know when you've done something as a child growing up. You already know if you've done something. My son, um, my neighbors are cutting some trees down. Um, and uh, so my son has decided that all the limbs are his toys. And so he's dragging them everywhere. And he picked up a big one. He's like, Dad, check it out. And he turns around and just nails the side of that house. And he goes, that's not good. Like he knew right away. And he's just like, I'm, I'm so sorry, Dad. I'm like, get inside. He's like, you're just messing. I said, no. Right? He knew right away that it's something that wouldn't please me very much, that he whacked the side of the house and because he wasn't being careful. Well, if you're, if you're living a life and you know that you're doing something against the Word of God, just go to the Ten Commandments. Does it even bother you when you lie? Do not lie. 
Right? That's the one thing. The Ten Commandments are interesting to me because everyone, there's been so many surveys done about it, even for people who don't believe in the existence of God, say that the Ten Commandments are a good set of standards to live by for the most part. Isn't that it's curious to me? Does it bother you when it says do not lie and then you lie? Because if it doesn't bother you, you really probably aren't living according to his word as true. So are you willing to? Is it something worth doing? And that's what we get to explore today. Why we should give our entire life and allow it to be governed around a document that was written over the course of a a solid 1,500 years and that, that hasn't even changed from its original manuscript. Why not just do what we want? Part of the struggle that we're having is that we want, um, when it comes to the Word of God, we want the microwave approach. We want the two-minute version. You want to be able to nuke it real quick and be able to understand that it, everything that it's saying. Yes, you can even say it's from the Almighty God. Isn't it interesting? It's from the Almighty God. It's something that's given to us um, to really guide our life, and we want a two-minute two minute explanation of it so that we can then understand all of its insights from God. But we want it quick and we want it easy, right? I mean, that's, that's the, the thing about faith today and even in churches. A lot of people pick churches based on how um, creative they can be and, and how they can keep you engaged very, very quickly so that then you feel like you're being entertained enough and then you walk out and then you come back and you do it again, right? We want express, we want two minutes, rather than enjoying even the process of learning it. That's one of the cool things about even cooking today. Have you noticed that cooking is coming back in forever and ever? It was like, just go out to eat quickly, fast food it, um, whatever you have to do. But now there's this process. It's even the process of cooking it before you even get to eat it. I very much enjoy it. Where you get really good food and you just take your time and... You even put a spread out to nibble on as you're preparing the real food, right? Can I get a hallelujah? I, I, you know what I'm talking about it. I, right now, I just changed what we're doing for dinner tonight um, because that's so much fun. It's enjoyable, even that process. Well, that's what it is for the Word of God, even the process of being able to jump into it, to prepare your heart to learn about it and to be expanded and and to grow more according to what God is wanting for you. That process, it's so much fun. I I want us to understand that. That's why we offer so many opportunities for you to learn here about Scripture and about the Word because it's fun to take that time. And then you let it marinate, right? I literally in my refrigerator now, I've got chicken marinating for dinner tonight. And you let it soak it up. And when your life soaks up the goodness of the word, it starts to alter the flavor of your life. And that's what it does. Here's the Bible. The Bible is this library of books. And I'm going to throw out um, a lot of uh, facts for you today. And I'm going to approach this all different angles because I know um, that everybody in here comes from a different background, a different understanding, a different idea of what the Bible is. Here's this library of books that came out of, of, of the history of the people of Israel, all right? And so you've got 66 books that come together by nearly 40 different authors. And they come together, and it's really helping to instruct the people of Israel. God used the Israelites to be a central part 
of what God was doing for humanity. And they began to recognize that the Torah, especially the first five books of the Bible, okay, it's also referred to as the Pentateuch, all right, they recognized that God's instruction, God's direction, it was life-giving. In fact, there's a picture. This is in Israel. Um, Israel, if you've been there before, I hope that many of you have, uh, it's not as green and lush. Like we reread the word wilderness and we think of it different. Maybe you think the UP in the summer, all right? That's not Israel. It's dirt, it's rock, it's brown, it's all these different things. But then you have this small stream running through and you see how green those plants are when surrounding that is nothing but dirt and rock brown, all right? And now you see how it is. Well, that's what they discovered. The Israelites, when God gave them the word and that he gave them the law, what they discovered was that when they were obedient to it, their life was more full. It was more lush. And what you have throughout history is you have the people of God giving themselves to it and their life is blush and then all of a sudden they start after time because things are good. They stop giving God glory and credit and praise for those things and what do they start doing? Like we all do, it's relevant today, is we start taking more for ourselves and going, well, I can do this on my own, I can do what I want, life is good, right? Isn't that what happens? And so they would step away from God, and so God would then come into the picture and punish them and say, what are you doing? And so they would then, because they would recognize that life wasn't as green and as lush anymore, even though they were doing a lot of what they wanted to do, in time they recognized this is more difficult, this is harder, what are we up to? And so they would turn back to God as a society. The society would then start to be green once again and more lush for those who were being obedient to that, the living word of God. And it happened over and over and over and over again. It's interesting to think about where we are today as a society. It's interesting to think about where we are in that process. And this would happen over a couple of hundred years, and it would go back and do it again, and back and forth and back and forth. But we recognize, they recognize that the message of the Bible, it gave life. It's a story of how God is working to bring hope. And yet this new leader coming, to be able to give life. And you've got the Old Testament, right? The latter 27 books, the New Testament. And the New Testament is really, it, it's the fulfillment of the Old Testament and how God was going to fulfill his promises. It's something that I got to address with you last week. And all those prophecies that came to fulfillment, came to fruition. Now, it is interesting. I, when I was preparing the order for everything in this series, I didn't recognize that today of all days is Pentecost. Now, if you know what Pentecost is, that's interesting to me. Um, now, you can judge right now. You're going, well, you should have known the day of Pentecost. Just hear me out because this is cool. It wasn't on my radar, I have to admit. But really, Pentecost became, it was a celebration of the of all the harvest, the festival of the harvest that were brought in. But in time, what it became was a celebration of God giving the people the Torah, the law, the word of God at Sinai. And yet today we get to preach on the precious nature of the word of God. And we get to celebrate what God has given to us. 
And so this is what I want to do. I'm going to show you a video. Um, there is a wonderful resource out there. I want to make sure you're aware of this resource. I don't do this a lot. I always want to be careful because you can give out a resource and then there's a few things that you don't like about it, even though there's 5,000 things that you do like about it. And um, you always hear about those three things that you shouldn't like about it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, it's called the Bible Project. Uh, it's a wonderful resource. I use it with my kids a lot to help teach them about the Word. And so I'm going to show you a video here. It's a few, it's a few minutes long, but it's going to help you understand really what the Bible is. And this is what these people do. And so let's take a few minutes and watch this video, okay? The Bible. It's one of the most influential books in human history. It explores the big questions of why we exist. It's inspired many people to do amazing things. And confused many others. And you've probably got one sitting around somewhere. So, what is the Bible actually? Well, the Bible is a small library of books that all emerged out of the history of the people of ancient Israel. And in one sense, they were just like any other ancient civilization. But among them were a long line of individuals called prophets. And they viewed Israel's story as anything but ordinary. They saw it as a central part of what God was doing for all of humanity. And these prophets were literary geniuses. Really? Yeah, they expertly crafted the Hebrew language to write epic narratives, very sophisticated poetry. They were masters of metaphor and storytelling, and they leveraged all of this to explore life's most complicated questions about death and life and the human struggle. So there's a lot of different authors writing this book. Yeah, and these texts were produced over a thousand-year period, starting with Israel's origins in Egypt, then leading up to their kingdom with their first temple, but eventually, they were conquered by the Babylonians, who took them away into exile. Then, at a crucial moment in their history, many Israelites returned to their land. They built a second temple, they reformed their identity, and this is when the Jewish scriptures began to be formed into the shape that we have them today. Okay, the Jewish Bible. What's in it? Well, in Hebrew, it's called by an acronym, Tanakh. The T stands for Torah, sometimes called the Law. That's Israel's five-book foundation story. The N stands for Nevi'im, the Hebrew word for prophets. And this section consists of the historical books that tell Israel's story from the prophet's point of view. Then you get the poetic books of the prophets themselves. The K stands for Ketavim, the Hebrew word for writings. This is a diverse collection of poetic books, wisdom books, and more narrative. And the Jewish people believe that through all of these literary works, God speaks to his people. Now, there were other Jewish writings being produced during this second temple period as well. Yeah, a really diverse group of texts. And these two were highly valued in Jewish communities. And there was debate from ancient times about whether or not some of these should be considered part of their scriptures. So this is a lot of different writings over a long period of time. Why did they put them all together like this? Well, altogether, these texts tell an epic story about how God is working through these people to bring order and beauty out of the chaos of our world. And it all builds up to a hope for a new leader who would come and renew all creation. And then the Tanakh concludes, and this leader never comes. So it's an expertly crafted work, but it's missing an ending? That's exactly right. Now, a few centuries later, a Jewish prophet comes onto the scene named Jesus of Nazareth. He claimed he was carrying the Tanakh story forward. Yeah, so Jesus did a bunch of cool stuff was killed, but his followers claimed he was alive from the dead. Yeah, they said that Jesus was that long-awaited leader who would restore the world. 
And so his earliest followers, called apostles, they composed new literary works about the story of Jesus. They called these good news or the gospel. They formed an account called Acts about the spread of the Jesus movement outside of Israel. And then they circulated letters to different Jesus communities all around the ancient world. And they saw these writings as part of the scripture. Yeah, the apostles wrote all of this as the fulfillment of that epic story found in the Tanakh. And they were continuing the literary genius of the Jewish tradition. They also believed that God was speaking to his people through these texts alongside the scriptures of Israel. So that's the Old and New Testament. But what did the early Christians think of the other second temple literature? Well, different groups had different views about some of these books, but we know they read them and valued these texts because they passed them along with the Jewish scriptures. Okay, so we've got the Tanakh, the Jewish scriptures. We've got these other second temple period works. Then the writing of the apostles about Jesus. And that's a lot of literature, so what's in my Bible? So the Christian movement has taken different forms over 2,000 years, and from the beginning, all Christians recognized the Tanakh and the New Testament as scripture. And for centuries, much of the Second Temple literature was read as part of the biblical tradition. The Catholic Church eventually made it official and called some of the books from this collection the Deuterocanonical books. Some Orthodox churches used even more books from this Second Temple literature. And then in the 1500s, during the Reformation, Protestant Christians wanted to go back to the oldest writings of the prophets and apostles, so they accepted only the Old and New Testaments. I hope that helps you to understand a little bit more about what comprises the Word of God and what that really is. It's interesting because there is, there's been a movement recently with God's Word, with Scripture, that tells us, hey, you know, you should really just camp out on the Gospels. Those are the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It really tells the story and the life of Christ, so that's where you should just kind of live in that area. Um, I, no, that's, that's not where we should only live. We should be in those places, but we should also be in the Old Testament. And we need to look at the epistles. We need to look at what God is, is doing throughout the Word of God. Um, 2 Timothy 3, 16 is a passage that's important for us. Um, I would encourage you to write down that passage, 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17, really. Um, it says, You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation. They've given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and makes us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now, some people go, well, you should only look at the Gospels, yet this, when it was written, the New Testament had not even been compiled yet. And so obviously it's referring to the Hebrew as well. That Hebrew literature that you just saw in the Old Testament. And so we need to look at the entire Word of God and how it, it paints this wonderful, wonderful picture. If you remove everything else except for the Gospels, what you're doing is you're ripping out some of those beautiful parts of the picture that God has painted for us throughout His, or our opportunity, our life here, that we get to experience with God. And so we look at this masterfully woven piece of manuscript that's given to us. 
And it is similar to, it's similar to Jesus. So Jesus is both God and man. We know from the word, from scripture, that Jesus has been since the very beginning. And we also understand that God gave his son to come live with us in flesh. That's why we are together, because we celebrate his life that he had and that he died for us. And then a, a few days later, he rose from the dead, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We celebrate because that tomb is now empty. And so we see Jesus as being both God and human. Well, the Word of God, um, Scripture, the Bible, is the same as well. God used humans to be able to, and He inspired them to give us His Word. The Bible has both human and divine origins, and we recognize that. And so when we read through the Word of God, we need to process the entirety of it and for what it's meaning. So I want to talk about some of the accuracy and some of the proof of the Word of God and what we discover. Um, uh, Bruce Metzger, he's a scholar from Princeton, and he has recently said that it's safe to assume um, that the Word of God is 99.6% accurate. Now, you can write that down, Bruce Metzger, M-E-T-Z-G-E-R, from Princeton, Princeton. And he goes into why he believes that. Um, Time Magazine recently wrote that no other document is so well supported or has as much accuracy as the Bible. You simply cannot deny it. Um, Yet the Bible is under attack. Critics want to disregard what it is. And yet if they do that, if you disregard the Bible, then you're going to have to disregard people like Plato and Aristotle and Homer and other things like that. Why? Because the documents that we have from the Bible, especially from the New Testaments, are better preserved and more numerous than any other ancient writing. And because they're so numerous, you can cross-check them over and over again for accuracy in a way that you can't do with other documents. Presently, there are 5,686 Greek manuscripts in existence today for the New Testament. 5,686 absolutely astounding. In fact, this is a great um, thing for you to better look at to see the differences here. What you have is you look at the writings of Plato and you look at when they were written, you look at when the earliest copy was, and you look at that time span between original and the copy and the number of copies that they have. Aristotle is another. You look at the number of copies that are given there with 49 copies and yet it's that time span of 1,400 years between the original and the copy of what we have today. 1,400 years. You already see it up here. But there's less than 100 years in the New Testament and what we know of Christ. Which means all of those are being written with people who are eyewitnesses to what was taking place. And so they would have been correcting anything that was not true at that time period. You see it again with Homer, with the Iliad. You see it again then with the New Testament. And you look at the difference here. The earliest copy right there in the late 100s, and yet it's less than 100 years between that and when Christ lived. Number of copies jumps to 5,600, and yet as many copies as we have, the accuracy actually increases. Right? Wouldn't it tell you that with that many more copies, the accuracy of it would decrease? But instead, the accuracy has increased. 
Because they're able to cross-reference all of these different things. And so why is it that so many people are denying the Word of God? Very simply stated, is because we want something to embrace what we already believe rather than to allow our beliefs to be shaped by anything else. Because when you see something like that, you have to go, wait a second. And this is, I didn't compile this and make this up. Go online, you can find it. It's not hard to do. And you go, well, then why is it that we struggle so much with believing in the Word of God? In fact, there are thousands more New Testament and Greek manuscripts than those ancient writings that I was mentioning before, yes. But there's also, there's eternal consistency, but there's also external consistency. Other writings from Josephus and other people like that that support Everything that the Word of God is telling us. In fact, there's over 24,000 external documents. 24,000 external documents supporting the Word of God. And you think then, well then, why is it that we struggle to allow it to have authority in our life? Why is that? Guys, Christianity is the only religion, it's the only religion founded by a leader who predicted his resurrection before he died. Think of it that way. And so, if Jesus was crucified 30 years, 30 AD, then that means the entire New Testament was completed within 70 years, and we start to recognize the power of the words that were being spoken. You see, when you start to recognize what God really did in the giving of his son and in the writing of the Bible, what you start to do is the words that are being spoken, start, they start to ring louder. Words like John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When you recognize the accuracy, when you recognize what God has done from, from universities who often come forward and they say God doesn't exist and now you have professors coming and saying wait a second it's the most accurate document we have it just makes the word ring out louder in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives because you start to absorb it differently and it's just gone on more and more Right, Even in, in what the Dead Sea Scrolls, Dead Sea Scrolls were found, if you don't know, um, they were found off of the Dead Sea in, a, in some caves. They were discovered in 1947. And when they came and they discovered these Dead Sea Scrolls, and hopefully regardless of where you come from, you've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls before. I would encourage you to go look them up. But 1947 is when they were discovered. Some shepherds stumbled across them, right? And what they, dis- what they discovered proclaimed the greatest, it was proclaimed the greatest archaeological find of the 20th century. Over 800 documents, primarily consisting of Hebrew writings, came together and they spoke with 100% accuracy that everything that we already had was true. And you start to recognize, what will it take for us to believe in the beauty of the Word of God? 
Why, here's the big question. Why do we struggle to claim Scripture as truth? Now, some of you are going, well, I don't struggle with it. I, again, I don't think it's that easy. I think some things we have said so many different times that we no longer acknowledge the, the significance of it. Right? If, you, if you claim Scripture as truth, you're going to be bothered when you act against it. If it doesn't bother you when you act against it, then I would say that you actually don't claim it as truth. You see it as a nice guide and you'll do what you can with it when you want to as long as it already embraces what you're desiring for yourself. So why do we struggle to claim Scripture as truth? Why do we struggle to receive it as truth? Why do we accept one part but not other parts? Well, it's simply because we often interpret truth based on whether it supports our current beliefs. Another question is, do you really want to seek truth? Or do you only look to support your already predetermined position? That's been the hardest thing for me in this. I mean, I told you last week, just going to Google and saying, and I didn't look at where the articles were coming from. I actually went to some people who I know really irritate me. <laughs> And I wanted to see what they had to say. And we need to be able to do that. And so you, you go, man, okay, what is this? Are we really even seeking truth? Do we want it for ourselves? Because here's the thing. If there is truth, if the Bible is really truth, then what that means for us, that then we're willing to put all of our other ideas and preferences and we're willing to pick those up and to set them aside and to live according to what God is now instructing us to do. That's a hard thing. You see, and that's it's one of the reasons it's so hard in, in, in communicating with people um, you communicate with believers differently than you do those of non-believers. But even with believers, one of the first things I ask people now, and I've just learned over the years, if someone wants mentoring or counseling or anything like that, I go, well, let me ask you this first and foremost. What do you think about the Word of God? What do you think about who God really is? You tell me what you think it is for you. Because if I'll tell you what it is to me afterwards, and if we're coming from two different places on how we see that, then you're not going to like me very much at all. And I'm okay with you not liking me, but we're just going to disagree. And you're going to just, I'm going to give you advice, but the advice I'm going to be giving you is from the Word of God and um, comes from Scripture. So if you don't believe that the Scripture is truth, then all of a sudden, it's going to be a hard situation for us. And even for those who go to church, there's more and more of a struggle with that because more and more there's... There, there, there are people who are coming who don't really buy into this as truth. And yet we look at all that's coming from it. This is uh, Psalm 10 verse 4 says the following. It's not up here, but if you want to write that down. Psalm 10 verse 4, it says, um, it says in his pride. That's a key word there. Um, pride in a word is the single greatest obstacle to why people do not believe. In this pride, the wicked does not seek him. Right? People don't seek him because of pride. They assume that they already have all the best answers for themselves. Right? And it says, in all of their thoughts, there is no room 
for God. Here's what pride does. People who already assume that their preference and their, their beliefs is already the best, no matter what God has done throughout the thousands and thousands of years. What that really does is you push out God. You fill up all the space that you have with self, and you leave no room for God. You leave no room for his word. It says the wicked, another translation, it says the wicked are too proud to seek God. They won't even consider God because to consider anything else is to demote self. Reduce self. I read from 2 Peter earlier. 2 Peter chapter 1. And I want to read a, a few verses here that really stand out. 1 Peter chapter 1, 16 and following. It says, Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. But listen to this. He was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Who through him are believers in God. Who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. So that your faith and hope are in God. It was reminding them. It's a passage letting them know who and what they should follow. And that's the question that is being begged of us today is what are we willing to follow? Guys, we already know everybody is worshiping something. Everybody, whether it be self, whether it be God, everybody's being instructed by something. What's amazing to me in so many of the conversations that I've had with people in recent years is I go, where do you get your advice from? And I've had so many people say, well, I just Google it. Really? Like, that's your standard now. Like, is you're just, you don't know anything about that author, and you're just going to take that as truth, and now you're going let, to let it dictate your life, rather than going, wait a second, look at the accuracy of what we know this to be, and that it's lasted for thousands of years, and we see the beauty of it, and yet you're not going to listen to that. Well, no, I'm not going to listen to that. That's the Bible. That has to do with God. But yet you're willing to be influenced and to listen to these other people that you don't even know. Why is that? It's called pride. It's called arrogance. And I think to myself, what is it going to take for us to really begin to believe in this as being truth? That's really my goal today. Is I just want you, for so many of you, to at least go, wait a second. If, if this is true, if it's this accurate, if it's, if it's telling the story of the people of God and what God has not only for the Hebrew people now but for all people, for anybody who professes faith in his son Jesus Christ, if that's what it's doing man, I need to read this different I need to wake up to this I need to allow it to stir within me 
Why? Because the message here, it doesn't allow you to stay the same. The reason there's so much apathy in the churches today, the reason there's so much complacency in the church today is one of the primary reasons is because I truly believe that they don't believe in the power of the Word of God because the Word of God doesn't allow you to stay the same. The message is too great. It's life-altering. And so will you allow yourself to give authority to scripture will you allow yourself to give authority to scripture will will you make room for god will you make room for god and that means sometimes you have to purge some other things this last um, this last week our neighborhood we found out was having a yard sale. We were supposed to sign up to be a part of it. Um, and so it started, I think, at Thursday at like 5 o'clock or something. I don't know. All of a sudden, it's 4.50, and my wife's going, there's a yard sale. Grab stuff. <laughs> this is great. We're, re- we're prepared for this one. So I do, because I sell everything. Um, like, just tell me what you want. I'll give it, to, like, just name, give me a good price. It's for sale, right? And so I'm just, I just start grabbing. I said, kids, come on, grab anything in your room that you haven't used for three months. <laughs> and a couple of them, really? I mean, I mean, within reason, just grab it. And so they just, we just start grabbing stuff, and we have this little table. It's not even a full table, it's a little half table. So we just start throwing everything on the driveway. And I think, I mean, we raked it in. I think we made $8. It was great. It was so well worth three hours of energy. Um, and now, of course, I haven't even put it back. It's all stuck in my garage. So um, we, we started clearing room out, though. And we just were like, we don't need all of this stuff. Because one of the things that I recognize is having all this stuff that we have, it prevents us sometimes from allowing there to be enough space for something else. Some of you need to remove some other things in your life so you can make some room for God. It, it changes your life. God, there, guys, there's no way. And I, praise team, you can come back out because um, there's nothing I'm doing right now that's on my notes. There's no way I would give up what I have given up in life if that was not truth. There is no way that I would have given up what I've given up in life if this were not truth. There's no way. And it's worth every single bit of what I have to give in my life. And I just want you to get that. I know some of you are like, oh, look at all the the stats and the details. This is fantastic. None of that matters if you're not willing for your heart to be changed, to go, wait a second. This gives a spark that does something in my life. I, 
I'm tired of the anger that I have toward my family. It's going to change because this does something different because this shows me a picture of a God who says, I love you anyway. And it does something different. And all of a sudden, you're willing to give things to others a love and a forgiveness. All of a sudden, that bitterness and the anger, when you, when you really believe this to be truth, that means you better understand the grace and the love and the forgiveness of God in a way that you've never understood it before. And then you're eager to give it away to others. You're eager to say, I want to forgive you. I don't want to be bitter. I don't want to be angry. And they're going, well, you should be. No, it's not worth it. Because I've done so many things to God and God has come before me and said, I love you anyway. It alters everything in your life. Let it soak in. And some of you have got so much of the knowledge right here, but I'm begging you to let it make the journey from here to here. And when you do that, your families will change. And I'm not saying it's easy because the sinful nature says, I just want to do what I want to do. And you're going to start going back just like the Israelites did. And you're going to start running after self. And then you're going to recognize in time, oh, junk, what did I just do? And you're going to go back to God, right? But everything else starts to change. Like your family... Your marriage can be saved through the power of Jesus Christ. Hear me say it right now, please. If Your marriage can be saved, and not only can it be saved, it can be used as an instrument yelling out the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. Your kids can be helped. Because some of you feel like you're useless in being able to help your kids. Your kids can be helped in the power and the grace and the word of God. There is a hope in the future in the name of Christ. Your anxiety and your worry can be conquered. Because our God is a God of love and peace and hope. Will you believe? God, I come before you. And I give you thanks for who you are. I am astonished. I am amazed that we get to be a part of your movement. God, I am amazed that we get to be a part of something you're doing so special in this place. And God, we're committing as a church to always stand on the word of God. Because we know it's eternal. And God, we we get to stand thousands of years later and see the beauty that it brings. And so for my friends here today, I ask that you would stir their hearts and that you would allow them to absorb more of your truth and what it can mean for their life. Hope. Hope. Let them know your hope. In Christ's name, amen.
Oh, this is a good song. Behold our God. All right, when I uh, look at the word of God, I always, like this week has been those moments for me um, where I've looked at it, Nathan, and I've just said, wow. Because I do this every week, right? And yet this week, preparing on this, I've gotten, I've gotten to sit so much more deeply in a different way because I'm going, man, this is truth. This is a ah. And so we get to sing to that God today that gives us the beauty of his word. And I pray that you mean it. And I pray that you'll declare it. Let's stand together as we respond to him.